Hi, this is Serena Sun, founder and director of Breaking Taboo. Today, we will be joining Julianne Vaccaro, who is a somatic sexologist. Ooh la la. <laughs> so, um, how are you doing today, Julianne? I'm doing excellent. I'm over here in Denver, so it's, it's pretty hot, but it's dry. So, What's the uh, temperature today in Denver, Colorado? It's probably about like 96. Oh, it's wow. Close to 100, yeah. Jeez. Yeah, I think ours over here in LA is like 92 today. So, mm. but yeah, I have not been out all day. That's, <laughs> I know it's so bad. That's like what happens in summer without a gym nowadays is like, I don't even want to go out and, and um, take a walk. But I have it in my calendar for later for like <laughs> seven o'clock. Yeah. So we'll see. Hopefully it happens. <laughs> yeah. When the heat goes down, right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, Julianne, uh, I've gotten a chance to, you know, uh, check you out and check out what you're all about. I was telling you this during our preliminary um, call uh, that I absolutely love the energy that you're putting out there. And there's so much like female empowerment and what you call goddess energy, right? So I love it. You're a total goddess uh, based on, you know, everything that I've seen on your social media and stuff. So I love how you empower that. And of course, being a sexologist, you know, I'm sure you're all about, um, you know, empowering uh, women's sexuality and things of that nature. So first of all, I have to ask you, somatic sexologist, what uh, does that mean? Somatic being of the body and of uh, physiology? Can you explain that? A bit? Absolutely. Yeah. So to kind of simplify it really well, um, somatics, like you said, just means basically dealing directly or relating with the body. So it's Somatic sexology and the approach that I was trained under is somewhat of a combination of a whole bunch of different methodologies and uh, trainings in one practice. So somatics is the first half of the table work session that I do where it's somatic therapy. So basically everything is energy, even our emotions, so energy and motion. And so when we have negative experiences or we've had traumatic experiences in our life or we've grown up in um, like emotionally abusive. And I say all of that with a little, like, I like to expand on it because I think that trauma can feel really big. And I, But we all have trauma and we all have like limiting beliefs and societal programming and all of these things. And so all of these things get stored in the body. So basically what uh, what I do with somatic therapy is you're, you're actually giving the body a space to finally feel safe enough to basically like complete the stress cycle. So when we have these experiences, most of the time we're not completing the cycle in the body. And so the energy gets stuck and trapped and then we start to feel stuck and trapped. And we mm -hmm. kind of are like, our voices start to quiet down. We're not as fully expressed as we were when we were younger. Like when we have our little girl or our little boy, that energy within us. And so with somatics, you're giving the body a space to complete the cycle and to kind of rewrite the way that some of those experiences or traumatic experiences have went. Um, and with the sexological component, it's quite similar, where in the same way that we hold these, these stuck emotions and experiences in the body, the, th the same thing happens with our sexuality. And um, what I find is that sexuality is such a great place to hide these things. It's a great place to kind of hide ourselves because it's, it's dark, right? And it's a little bit more secretive. It's so taboo, right? That's why we're here. And so, um, totally. And so it lives in our sexuality, like shame lives deep there. So 
with the sexological portion, um, it's quite similar in really letting your full, authentic, erotic self come out and clearing any energy or stuckness that's left in the body or left in your sexuality so that you can really access your full potential to feel here, like feel all of the pleasure that's available for you, feel all of the joy, all the bliss, and to go deep into full body ecstatic pleasure. Oh, that is so interesting. I mean, what, what, so there was a lot there <laughs> that you uh, spoke to, um, but what exactly do you mean um, uh, when, when you say, um, you know, the trauma that's in our body? Like, what is, like, how, how does one know? How do you know? Like, what does that feel like? How does it manifest? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll first talk about trauma. So there's big T traumas and there's small T traumas. Uh, small T traumas are going to be things like the ending of a relationship or not getting your emotional needs met. It could be a move that's kind of traumatic or throws a wrench in what you're used to. And then the bigger T traumas are going to be things like a death or a loss of a loved one, a really big a traumatic car accident, um, those like grander scale experiences that we might actually never kind of have. Um, most of us have small T traumas and Science says that a collection and accumulation of these small T traumas can equate to the same impact in your in your psyche and body as a big T traumas. Okay, so, sorry, I don't I don't mean to um, cut you off, but just a, a, a question okay. there. Um, but when you say um, big T and small T traumas, um, I've noticed that some people tend to um, integrate traumas um, on different levels. So something that might be a small T trauma for one person could, in fact, be like really, really impactful for another person um, and vice versa. Something that was that, you know, I guess for one person is like hugely traumatic um, for someone else might not be as traumatic. So um, how, how do you like typically categorize this? Would it just be, I'm assuming, based on the individual or is it actually like in science, they will say like, these are the big tree, uh, big T traumas and these are the small T traumas? Yeah, that's a great question. So I, I think that, and that's part of why I explain like the difference between small and big T, because like I kind of mentioned before, what I find most of the time is that, and this was really what I did for so much of my life was like, just, just bypassed my whole human experience, like totally downplayed the experiences that I had, didn't think they were like valuable enough to look at or to be categorized as traumatic experiences because they weren't as bad as somebody else that had these bigger traumas. And so I'm sure that science has, I mean, kind of the breakdown that I gave you is what I would say science labels big and small T traumas. But what I find is that most of us, like I said, have these smaller T traumas and they collect and they build up, right? So it's like we have one experience and this one experience might not affect, like, let's say I have traumatic experiences and it affect, affects me one way. You might have the exact same thing and it might not spark that same level of, like, trauma in the body based off of, it could be so societal program, it could be based off of like identity, culture, um, all of these different moving pieces that might have you experience that thing differently. For example, you walking on the street and getting catcalled, some women might freaking love that. Like they might be like, oh my God, filling up on that attention and they might actually like really like that exchange whereas another woman might feel really violated. And so what I find actually with doing somatic-based work is that the relationship that you have, yes, to your traumas, but also the way that you show up in the world greatly shifts. So for me, for example, and this will go back to your original question, but like, how does it show up in the body? How do you know that you have trauma in the body? 
Um, for me, it was to give a little bit of a background story. I have always struggled with eating disorders and um, I was an NPC competitor and, and boxing and yoga teacher. And so I was always in the fitness space. So everything in my journey was very much tied to my, my body. And so over the years, and I started to unlearn those pieces and heal and heal the relationship that I had to myself, my body and food and, and really peeled back those layers. I recognized how much trauma I actually had growing up. There was physical abuse, there was emotional abuse, and I kind of just numbed it out and bypassed it and never thought it was big enough to be considered trauma, yet it was really running in the background of everything that I had. And so I found myself in one abusive relationship after the next, mirroring this story of love and abuse. So for me personally, when it came to a breaking point, it was at the end of an abusive relationship that ended in a sexual trauma. And I had done like so much work, like I had done so much talk therapy, I did so much counseling, personal development, like I did all of the things. And as soon as I went back into the dating space, and tried to be intimate with partners, my body would just completely lock up. And I would almost feel like I would be able to access these deeper wounds that I just didn't I couldn't tap into before having those experiences. And so um, for me, it showed up in that way. It showed up like I was locked out of my body. It was so uh, unsafe in my body. I was, I felt so unsafe with men. I felt unsafe with women. I felt like I would walk into a room and I would just watch my life through a movie screen. Like it would almost like I'd walk into a restaurant or whatever. And I, I would see and witness myself from an out of body perspective, never actually from my own two eyes. And so as I got into the somatic work, I realized that it was because of all of this trauma that I had experienced, I just kind of flew up and out and I dissociated and I, the flight response got me out of the body. And so I think that it shows up for a lot of people, like they're not, they're not living in their body. They're not landed in this lower region of, of where they are. They're very in their head. So we can get like super stuck in our head and our story, the the inner critic, it's really loud and it's hard to hear our, our soul's voice or like our authentic self. Mm -hmm. um, so usually there will be like throat contraction, not expressing our truth, not feeling safe is a lot of how it shows up. And so then that just limits our, our full expression. And I think that the body does a really good job at doing the best that it can, right? Like the body's always going to do whatever it can to keep you safe. And I think that it can, it's like, it's really when I think we have sometimes this like huge awareness come through of like, oh, I'm, I'm maybe not able to access the joy that I used to have. Mm -hmm. Something like that can be a really good indicator because the body's, again, always doing really good at keeping us to feel good. Mm -hmm. um, does that kind of answer your question? Yeah. I mean, um, I, I have uh, uh, my own experience with physiological trauma. Um, uh it's it's you know it's not sexual physiological trauma but it's um uh, interesting like it just reminds me of what you were saying about the body holding on to trauma and then it manifesting in certain ways like long story short um i uh experienced an episode of syncope which is a passing out fainting um actually after i had like an edible <laughs> just like this mm -hmm. small i had like an edible that was like literally this mm -hmm. big of like a chocolate and then i actually um passed out in barney's beaner 
scenery just like you know just got up and boom I was like on mm -hmm. on the floor and luckily my friend and someone else there like uh, caught me and carried me and um, I was in the ambulance and it was like a like just really like a traumatic um, night because I literally thought I was gonna die like that's like what my body felt like and and yeah. I was afraid to close my eyes and things but then after it happened I was kind of like oh haha ha, that's kind of funny you know I just kind of like let it go and just went about went about my life like thank goodness nothing happened to me whatever but then what's so interesting is that for a good year and a half afterwards I would like experience these um um, feelings of like almost like passing out again like I'd be driving and all of a sudden I would get like really dizzy out of nowhere and then I'd be like okay you know what it's just your anxiety calm down but for a while you know I thought that there was actually something wrong with me I thought there was something mm -hmm. physiologically wrong with me and I forget exactly where or who said I think I might have ended up in the ER um, after like a misdiagnosis from a doctor who told me I had asthma gave me an inhaler, never tested me for asthma. I never had asthma. So that actually made me hyperventilate <laughs> mm -hmm. one day. But um, I think uh, it, I think it was a doctor in, in, in the um, ER the second time that told me um, it, when I was explaining this to him, he was saying like, you probably have physiological trauma from what had happened to you before and your body, even though you feel like mentally and emotionally, okay, like your body is still holding on to that experience. And th so that was actually the first time I heard ever a physiological trauma of that term. And I knew like the first time I've ever experienced where like everything else can seem okay, but our bodies kind of remember, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, in the animal kingdom, it's like there, there's four trauma responses, fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. And so in an mm -hmm. animal kingdom, like if you were getting chased by a lion um, and let's say you got away, like as an animal, if you watch dogs, if they get into, they like almost get hit by a car, they'll shake it out. Like they literally shake the energy out of their bodies. And right. so it's the same thing when we're babies. Like, you know, I think, I think for a lot of us, our parents would say like, just shake it out. Like you got hurt, blow on it, shake it out, just whatever. And you kind of just, you let it run its course, or maybe you have a temper tantrum in the corner and you let yourself get fully angry and you get all of the energy out of the body and you move forward. And it's like, it never happened. But for adults, we've been trained by society to not go there. Like you can't get angry because then you're an angry person or like you might hurt somebody. And so it, it gets recycled. And so when we react from like for, for that, for example, your story is like a physiological response, right? And mm -hmm. it can happen from that way or it can happen from emotional things, but it is this reaction. And when I say reaction, I mean like you react the experience that you've previously had. And so you're recycling this, like this memory over and over because the body almost kind of like gets stuck in a way. And to give you some more examples too, I think for me, a lot of it and the way that it manifests in so many individuals is just pain, pain and disease and illness. Like it kind of sounds simple, but if you think about it, if we're constantly collecting these energies, whether they're our own or from we witness, like we witness a car accident and we jolt, right? Like mm -hmm. we're, we're constantly collecting these energies and experiences. Um, so a lot of times it shows up in illness and it creates stress in the body and everything comes from stress. So with me, it was a lot of like hip pain and mm -hmm. my right hip was, um, I had surgery on it in high school. And so I would always get this hip pain. And after the somatic work, it's gone. If I'm in sticky situations where 
let's say I don't feel safe and I'm even like in a sexual experience, it'll act up. And I know that it's actually communicating with me. The right hip holds a lot of abandonment wounds. Um, the left hip holds Yeah, more, like, that, that, that made me think of that school of thought. Yeah, uh, I was talking mm. to a holistic healer uh, once and she was um, saying how, because um, I think I was experiencing some type of uh, stomach pain or something. And then she was saying like, oh, this is like the stomach represents this and this body part represents that. And I'm like, where did this all come from? Do you mm. know where it came from? Yeah, I mean, oriental medicine has a lot of those like different organs will hold oh. different things. Um, and also like the different meridian lines. So for example, the, the tissue that's in our yoni, which is just a sacred word for vagina is the same tissue that we have in our throats. So the more that you open, like you, the more that you actually open, um, your yoni and you relax and you surrender and you can kind of like unarm, like de-armor your heart, the more mm. your throat opens, the more expressed you are. So there's a direct link from your yoni to your throat and also from there to your heart, like the energy travels up through your chakras. And so it's all intertwined and connected for sure. That is so interesting. Um, can you uh, educate us a little bit on uh, the some of the body parts and what they do represent if you do experience pain there? Yeah, so the right hip is, and, and this is all very kind of like, like general, um, generally speaking, this is where things can, can hold. So for the right hip, it's going to be more abandonment for the left. It would be like betrayal, um, rejection usually gets stored there and the hips just hold so much, like they hold so, so much. And then the other way of looking at this is masculine versus feminine. So the right side of the body is going to be the masculine side. The left side is going to be feminine. Um, your stomach area will usually hold a lot of like familial pain, sexual trauma, grief, um, the chest is usually tight when there's like a lot of armor and like we've locked ourselves out of, of like feeling and the, maybe the world hasn't felt safe. And so we like actually literally energetically armor our hearts so that we can't let anything in, but we also can't like, we can't let the bad stuff in, but we can't let the good stuff in either or out. Um, shoulders are typically where we just like carry the weight of the world mm -hmm. and like I went I for shoulder pain <laughs> yeah I went for somatic sessions a couple of weeks ago um I usually go for like just clean up like once a year and I just I like as I get closer and closer to this like yearly maintenance work I'll kind of feel like my shoulders kind of slumping and I'll hear like the chatter in my head get a little louder like the voice will get louder in my head like the criticism the judgment um, and then I'll also feel like my body start to close. And so, and I'll use personal example, but like it's all of the issues and the pains that I've had in my body have always been on the right side. And so much of my work has been with, with men, with mm -hmm. the masculine, not feeling protected, not feeling safe. Um, and so, so that's you work, an example. So you work, uh, mostly with men, with male clientele. I work mainly with women. I mean, like my own personal work in healing my relationship to the masculine and with oh, men, okay. which has also allowed me to drop deeper into my feminine. Oh, okay. Okay. I see. Um, but okay. So for, for the somatic, uh, sexology part, um, do you work, do you see an equal amount of men and women or is it mostly women? It's clients? mostly women, but I do have like training and experience with men as well. Um, and a lot of the work that I do is also relationship dynamics, relationship coaching, sex coaching. And just recently I've gone more into like the dominant submissive space. And so um, to me, it's just like man relating like relationship energetic dynamics.
Tell us about that, the dominant submissive. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure lots of people are curious after uh, Fifty Shades of Grey, which, by the way, is really not no. <laughs> not how it is. <laughs> yeah, But yeah, I'll leave it up to you to tell us uh, how, how does it go. Dominant sure. I mean, this is still a new area for me to be exploring. And it's funny, I actually started watching. I, I read all the books, but I wanted to rewatch them. The movies from like the position that I'm in today of like, okay, kind of like, where's the wrong in this mm. not to find the wrong but I, I there was a movie called the secretary i think it's actually from yes uh-huh they're so similar i keep telling yeah. people this great movie really totally. great m- movie maggie uh gyllenhaal jake mm-hmm. gyllenhaal's sister yeah. and yes i was so surprised i was like did did the author of 50 shades of gray watch this movie and somehow get tr- like in her subconscious because totally. the guy's name is mr gray totally it's the same totally. name same concept like yeah. yeah. And if you watch those movies, like, stay curious. And I'm almost, I would also encourage you to, like, feel into your body as what feels off in some of them. Like, there's no consent. Like, in Fifty Shades of Grey, there's consent, but there's also, like, not consent. There's no mapping of what a scene looks like. There's so many pieces that are not there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there is, like you said, this, like, misleading of what BDSM is. But um, I really found my way into the space through my mentors and like I mentioned, my own personal like inner work for me has been really coming home into my feminine, but it was from a history of abuse that made me not feel safe with men, like um, men in my life not coming in to protect me against these abusive situations or things like that. And so it's kind of, uh, my work has been in finding respect and really valuing and, and knowing that it's okay to need men and that in fact we do need men and that it actually allows us as feminine beings to drop deeper into our chaos, to drop deeper mm-hmm. into our feminine eros when the, the masculine is there to hold the container, to take the frame, to, you know, have all the control with responsibility. And so the BDSM space, specifically the DS space, is um, for me like a beautiful way of surrendering even more into that, mm-hmm. to trust men, to to also witness healthy dominance. Like I think that, and this is so much of what, has it sparked within me um, as I go deeper into this space is like I think that so much has flipped in the last couple decades like you know we've we've grown up and not we but like the world has operated from this patriarchy right where women have been taken advantage of and Mm. totally repressed and sexual expression has been just like chopped off like the witch trials all of these Mm -hmm. things right and so the script has been flipped and feminism has arise and so now women can do anything they want and we can run our six-figure totally like in certain parts and we can run our six-figure businesses and we can do all of these things and so there's been this now like just like stepping on men like totally emasculating them taking them out of their dominance and their power and so with the ds space it's actually like as a modern empowered successful woman woman which i think so many of us identify with like the independent don't need no man we don't need any help kind of a thing like can you surrender the ego in a way and submit and surrender to your man and his brilliance and his wisdom to actually like take the control and the responsibility that you don't want to freaking hold. It actually drains you and it burns you out. Mm-hmm. Um, and can we have this kind of like super respectful space with our partners or the men in our lives? And I think that it's a totally different approach to relationships and what we've seen recently and, um, mm-hmm can be kind of dicey for those that 
have perhaps had a similar experience to mine or, or feel very resentful towards the patriarchy and to the masculine. But I think that as feminine beings or, or vulva bodied beings, you really identify with like a feminine essence, like it, it's taxing and it leads to burnout. So I think that in that kind of a space and dynamic, it, you can kind of just melt into who you truly are, into your true essence and your true us. Yeah, yeah, that's just so interesting that that you're saying that as someone who uh, uh, you know deals with empowering women a lot. Um, but yeah, no, I absolutely agree as well. I mean, I I think that there's nothing wrong with um, taking more traditional roles sometimes because a lot of times that is there for a reason is biological evolutionary like you know that is who we are and it doesn't really benefit anyone to deny that if it is a part of your true authentic self you know I mean so so why like if if I'm cooking in the kitchen you know for my man I like doing that type thing you know it's like like and so what if I still like to bake you know cupcakes and whatever like that's something that I enjoy and empowers me Um, and at the same time it shouldn't take away from a woman working it shouldn't take away from um, me being a CEO or a boss or whatever like you know it should not take away from any of that and to add on to that a man should be able to do all that as well if he wants to go cook in the kitchen and be a chef okay awesome cool you know like what are you cooking for dinner tonight you know it's like so I just I see it um, and I think you touch upon something else uh, which is just the overall which comes up a lot, especially in the work that I do with um, depression, suicide, mental health, finding help, you know, it's the key of finding help and allowing people to help you. And that doesn't matter whether you're male or female, you know, Mm -hmm. there's just, there's just like such a taboo around getting help or this, uh, especially Western ideology of like being independent and being like, you know, uh, an individual not needing anybody type things sometimes actually prevents people from relying on each other and leaning on each other which um i always say also you know that's we're human beings it's human nature you know that's like in in the beginning like since the freaking like uh, stone age you know we've had to rely on each other as a tribe to get through you know all the tough times otherwise we human beings would never survive and get to where we are today mm-hmm. so Anyway, so yeah, that's just my my two cents on on that whole thing. Um, but yeah, I totally, absolutely uh, hear what you're saying around that. And the question I have for you is, um, you know, uh, what are some of the more common um, problems? Like we're talking. Oh, sorry. Actually, before we get into that, we were just talking about BDSM, which Not is a me. whole other thing. Don't let me go on these tangents. It's like, you got to get back to what we were talking about. Yeah. So BDSM. And so I find it interesting that you're equating it to like the male, female, like male dominance, because I've also seen a lot of cases of BDSM where it's females being the dominant, like that happens a lot. And males kind of want like a break and a relief from always feeling like they have to be the dominant one in society. Um, so they seek out, you know, that that type of release um, uh, by being a submissive as mm-hmm. well, right? Yeah, well, I think to kind of reflect on that piece and then the, the community aspect and to go back into what you were saying with like, so what if I want to be in the kitchen cooking? It's like, the dynamic, like, I think originally, originally, I think, like, when you think of the word submissive or submit, like, how does that actually feel in your body and in your system? It might have some charge and some friction there. And I think that a lot of us think that it's like you're giving all of your power away. But even if, and like, if you watch the secretary, like, there's a lot of 
like things that I think are off about it, but like you see in the end where her sub her submission to him is her letting him take the reins and literally take care of her. So like you being in the kitchen and doing the dishes, it might actually require a little bit more work for you, but it's actually like allowing your, your partner to fully take care of you. And also you're keeping that polarity there. So I think that polarity is another really big, important part of that. And when I say polarity, I'm talking about like the chemistry, the sexual chemistry, chemistry that's there that gets fed when there is a dynamic like that. So like, for example, if you want your man to like be your puppy dog during the day and like listen to everything that you want him to do and wear what you want him to wear and cook the food and blah, blah, blah. And then you want him to go take you in the bedroom and to like fuck you really good. It's like, that's a big shift. Like he's not like, it was very common. Yeah. And you need to build up his dominance in all areas, like give him his balls back in a way. And so I think (laughs) we're talking about it from that way, but then to answer your question about the, the other part, I think that, my, my feedback for you listening or for you like contemplating this is like what feels best for your system. Like you might, you being a submissive as a woman, that might not actually feel that good. And I think I would stay open and curious as to like, like why, like there might be some deep programming in there. Like I think a lot of this journey for me has been around like actually humility and, and being humble and um, surrendering my sword against mm-hmm the men and against the world like really coming into a place within myself of like I can put my armor down and I can put my sword down and I know it's there if I need it but like I don't want to be the fighter anymore and Mm -hmm. that feels good for my system so like what what feels good for your system does it actually feel better to be in your dominance do you want to like what space do you want to go into and what space feels best for you and your body Right. Yeah, no, uh, very well said. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And it's different for everyone. I mean, sexuality is so different for every single uh, person out there. Um, I mean, one of my favorite courses, like, right, exactly. Yeah, one of my favorite courses um, in psychology was human sexuality. And I I remember we had like a really cool hip uh, professor, actually, and she had like, like punkish dyed hair and piercing and she was all like okay how many people here uh masturbate and then and then she's like okay wait wait actually how many people here don't masturbate raise your hands you know mm. and it was like uh it was it was really interesting and then and then she actually like went ahead and was like okay why don't you masturbate to like the people that raise yeah. their hands yeah. <laughs> publicly was, put them on the spotlight she was one cool professor i'll definitely say that um but uh, in that course, you know, it was, it was such a one of my favorite textbooks, actually, also, because we just dive through so many different um, forms of sexuality and sexual mm-hmm. uh, everything from um, uh, well, all the taboos, but um, uh, fetishes, fetishes, all the sexual fetishes. And then you really come about it after learning all of this, you know, you really start to realize like, wow, there really isn't much of anything that is like, like super weird or whatever you know like people just have um a lot of different thoughts and things that turn them on and and you know unless they're breaking the law in some way you know a lot or unless it's like impeding their ability to function or to orgasm or uh to you know uh have a good sex life with their partner there's really nothing wrong with um 
uh, most of these things that that are taboo, right? Mm-hmm. That that people like a lot of times people are like, oh my gosh, I can't believe like a, a men like think this way, and it's like, totally. no, 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 <laughs> like yeah, it's it's actually really normal. It's more normal than you would think. But I think again, you deal with this a lot, Julianne. Probably it's the taboo. I'm sure there's a lot of shame around these topics right um so how much of it how much shame do you see with the clients that that come to you um and how much does that play into you know the the problems that you help them resolve also that's a multi-layered question also what are (laughs) some of the problems that you often see in your clients yeah so i I think the shame piece is so important because i think that shame is such like a deeply rooted piece and I think it's Renee Brown that talks about perfectionism and says like underneath perfectionism is shame and then underneath that is actually unworthiness and so I think that wrapped around our unworthiness or like not enoughness is this deep shame about who we are what I believe and the outlook that I have is that like everything is rooted in our sexuality and everything kind of stems from there like it's the most powerful energy that we have access to it's one of our like primal instincts like if you think back to when you were a little girl or a little boy like she or he knew where their pleasure was right and like we knew that those parts of our body felt good we might not have known the whole thing but we knew that those parts of our body made us feel like good and alive and connected to ourselves to even maybe something bigger until like we started how, to get shame. How young shamed. are you talking about? Like you're saying that for most children, they know. Yeah, I think like I would say like five or six. A lot of, especially the women that I work with and myself included, like there's memories coming up on the table. Like five or six years old, self-pleasuring, and then maybe you get walked in on and you get shamed, and then you never do it again, or you think it's wrong and self-pleasure and sex is wrong for the rest of your life. Cause it's oh so my gosh, embedded. I had no idea that was normal. Yeah, I always thought I was like the only one. <laughs> I had a Tantra teacher that said once that she would get shamed all of the time from her parents. And um, one year on Christmas, they gave her coal because she, because oh, they wow. said one more time, like, and that's it. And so she now like every year under their Christmas tree, she sells pleasures to like reprogram her story. Mm. Like that would be an example of like somatically shifting that, that memory. Mm. Um, so I think that shame is deeply embedded in our sexuality. And I also think that shame feeds on, feeds in the darkness. It feeds in our secrecy. And so where else but to hide our deepest demons than in our sexuality? Because mm-hmm. who's going there, right? Like Interesting. Yeah. So and how so, do you see it manifest? I think that a lack of authentic self-expression is one piece. I think that for men, I, I I would say there's like an unhealthy dominance, like a toxic masculinity where they might not, they're not like grounded and rooted in who they are. And so then they like vomit their toxicity up all over everybody. And, and mm-hmm. so I think um, there's that piece, like lack of confidence or like an over, an overly confident expression that's just totally a facade. Um, and then I think for women, there's a lot of like inability to receive pleasure like Mm. just totally checking out of the body dissociation like not able to really connect with our partners and our lovers even when there is deep intimacy trust and love there there's like such a big lack of safety in the body that 
there's an inability to like be in the experience fully to use our mm -hmm. voice to share our desires because there's also all this programming that says if you like sex you're a slut if you if you speak what your desires are like you might be bossy or you're gonna be the whore or, like whatever labels and societal programming that you have um it's all learned it's all learned and it's all like covered in our sexuality um and so I think that it shows up that way a lot for women and there's kind of this like stuckness that is felt what I see where there's this like dance between I really want to be over here and I like want to fuck really hard and I want to be this like sex goddess and I want to have wild crazy full body orgasms and I want to go to like a pole class and I want to do this and this but then there's this other piece that's like but I can't and like it's not safe and if I did that like it's basically what I see is there's this like decision of defeat that was made earlier in life that said like if I if I do this I'm gonna get punished and there's gonna be like a big punishment for this and so mm -hmm. um there's kind of like a lockdown or a big dissociation or it's the opposite where there's like an over flaunting of our sexuality where it's like oh I, I have a trauma but it's totally fine and like my sexuality is my place of expression and it's like this like boasting when really there's like this deep-seated um pain so I think it can kind of go either direction. Mm, yeah, interesting. Very interesting. Um, so how do you typically like treat uh, clients? Let's say if uh, a woman or anyone comes to you, um, a woman or, or man with an inability to orgasm, um, how do you how would you go about treating that as a somatic sexologist? Yeah, inability to treat orgasm. I think that's a um, an, an inability to <laughs> orgasm. I think that's a big one. Um, I think I, I kind of like to take two approaches. Like, look at the 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 logical side of things, and then let's also look at the physical side of things. Mm -hmm. And so, what when I say the logical side, I'm saying look at the programming that you've had. Like, what's your religious programming? What what did you learn about sex when you grew up? Was it shameful? Did nobody talk about it? What was your education like? Did you learn about it from porn? Did you learn about it from friends? Did you never get the talk from your parents? Like, what did you witness? from the relationships that you've had in your life like how was mom and dad how were your grandparents how how did your siblings talk about it because that's a huge a huge piece to it and I think that the religious piece has a much deeper embedded piece in our in our bodies like um mm -hmm. yeah I was just gonna say I'm sure you get a lot of uh people who have been taught things um, from religion or a lot of a lot of cases where uh, religion plays a huge part in um, certain blockages in their sexuality or shame in their sexuality. And how do you deal with that? Because I mean, if someone, I mean, you know, if someone is uh, still with of that religion and still, you know, um, still like going to church all the time and they're being told like one thing from their parents and from church and then, you know, another thing from you or from, I don't know, uh, Sex and the City or, or TV shows or whatever, you know, or they just want to like, you know, get more in tune with their sexuality but they have all this programming and they're still religious. Like, how do you even go about uh, handling that and treating that? <laughs> I think it varies in the person. I think it would probably depend on their devotion and, and what their practice is like. Like, I think, again, going back to that, like logical side of like, what's the programming? I think that um, many of the clients that I've worked with and had interactions with and, and coaching um, packages with have, have had a really deep religious background and there becomes this shift where you almost start to separate from that ideology and you start to find your own truth and your own 
yeah, like your own truth ultimately and what you really want to believe, right? Like we start to question things because we start to maybe see that there's another way of doing it. And so I think mm-hmm. if there's anybody that's listening here that is perhaps making that separation and doesn't want to make a full separation, that's totally okay. Um, but looking at like anything in life, what feels true for you and what can you integrate into your life that feels good? So maybe there's just parts of it that don't feel good about religion and sex for you. And you can leave those parts out and you can reframe them into the story that you want to tell. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think, I was just going to say that I think healing happens when we experience something different. And so if you, again, like that, that self-pleasuring under the Christmas tree, like if you think, you know, making out with somebody is going to get you punished, like, can you make out with somebody that is actually really safe and you know there's not going to be any negative precautions like setting yourself up for success where you can experiment and play and somatically experience something different and not get in trouble or punished or have the bad thing happen that we think could happen because when there are these blocks or when there are these like limitations perceived limitations or misconceptions about the way that we can be in the world somewhere inside there's like a it's a fear it's a again it's like a decision of a defeat where we've decided that like, if this happens and this will happen or like, or am I going to be seen in that? And, and then what does that mean? So like kind of digging into like, well, what are you really scared of? And then, and then creating an experience for yourself when you can actually experience the thing that you want to have in a really healthy, positive way. Yeah. I think that's um, um, so much more easily said than done. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially I'm sure you see it with your clients. I'm sure. I mean, if you've been told something your entire life by your caregivers and, and your role models and people are supposed to listen to and, and like a whole religion's been based around it. I mean, I'm just, you know, it's just, and, and, and then all of a sudden you have to leave it type thing. You know, it's, it's um, much easier said than done. So how do you even get them started on that journey? there's two things that come up for me first is like you have to want it I feel like there has to be a desire for you to break out of that like I've had I have clients from all over the world and I've had clients I have a client in Japan right now who has never upon that one too yeah has (laughs) never talked about sex and um doesn't talk about sex with her husband and it's been so beautiful to be able to hold that space where she can actually express herself and and be heard in that um but again her desire is there like she wants to break out of that and wants to experiment and try so i think that especially when it comes to sexuality it's going to be like a testing journey it's going to be something that's going to make you look at all of your shadows like if there's any healing path it's going to be a shadow work path it's sexuality mm-hmm. i feel and so um that that first point is like is is getting really clear on what your desire is and also getting really clear on why you want it and how it's going to help you. Like looking at the, the what, why, and the how. And the other piece I would say that you kind of touched on before is the power of community. This is something that I've been talking about in so many of my spaces recently because, again, like moving into the Western world, we've moved out of the collective and into the individual. And we have this immense external and internal pressure that says we need to figure it out on our own and we need to do it on our own and it has to be perfect and we can't digress and there's no mistakes allowed to be made. And it's just not true. And um, my invitation would be like, if it feels too scary and if it feels really heavy to do, like, like ask for support. I would Mm -hmm. not be where I am today if I did not have 
healers and mentors and guides and coaches along every step of the way, especially with sexuality, because the me literally just three years ago would cry at any conversation of sex. I mean, any, every partner that I had would come forward with like, you never initiate and and I never feel like you like want to have sex with me or come on to me. And I would instantly just go into these tears, like not understanding why it had such a negative charge for me and why I just couldn't be like everybody else that I felt like I witnessed. And so where did it it can shift and it, it was a sexual education from my my father that said men only ever want one thing, no matter what they tell you, all they ever want is to get in your pants. And so there was always this like taking energy paired with like physical and emotional abuse growing up where the masculine men in my life didn't stop it and just let it kind of happen. There was this like, well, men aren't safe. They don't protect me. And will they just violate me and take after everything? And then I think that spiraled into like, being out in the world and, and feeling unsafe because there there yeah, there's great men and there's also not great men. Just like there's great women and there's not so great women, right? So um like kind of becoming a magnet for that and then being in abusive relationships one after the next. And so mm-hmm. again it goes back to that original point of trauma. Like I thought I had sexual trauma in my childhood for years because of how I felt about mm-hmm. sex in my body. And there wasn't any sexual trauma. It was just societal programming and my experience of myself and my body Mm, interesting um hmm. (laughs) uh that's amazing that that was only three years ago and just hearing you talk about it now is like wow you're so open talking about uh sex and sexuality and 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 you're helping people as well Mm -hmm. on on their own sexual journeys so that's quite amazing um uh i mean is it it, was it like three years ago that you realized that you want to go on this path this journey of becoming a sexologist or was it before that yeah i was in the like I mentioned, my story kind of started in the in the health and fitness space. Mm-hmm. Um, I originally started out as a holistic health coach and had like my first spiritual awakening back then and then journeyed through um, like eating disorders and raw veganism and healing from really severe adrenal fatigue and then all of my eating disorders and the negative relationship that I had with myself coming back. And so um, it, it was like a peeling back the layers of this like self-love and worthiness piece. And then as I made my way into the relationship realm and looked at the abuse and again peeled that back and was left with a really big sexual trauma, I knew that that was the next level of work for me. And when I went through the personal healing that I had, it was just the biggest transformation that I've ever experienced or encountered. And it felt like the most powerful healing modality ever. And so I just knew that I had to do it. And that's got what's got me here today. <laughs> That's awesome. And and that brings me to another question. Like, what type of training does a somatic sexologist have to go through? Um, uh, yeah, what type of training um, um, did you have to go through to uh, get to where you are today to be able to help uh, other people? Um, yeah. <laughs> Combination of both, like, educational work, like, schoolwork, and then also hands-on work. Um, one of the things that I was thinking of before when you were speaking about you going through the, the, the sex ed course and like looking at all of these fetishes, like that's part of a sexological bodywork trainer uh, training is, is like showing all of these videos and looking at all of these different fetishes and things that could potentially kind of jar you and throw you off because as a sex educator, as a sexological body worker, there needs to be like a neutrality there. 
important because mm-hmm. if there is deep shame, like you, you can't be showing that shame. Um, so lots of table work experience, hands-on experience with bodies. Um, what do you doing- do? Sorry. What do you do in the uh, table work? Like, what do you mean? Like massages or like feeling uh, different energies or it's a combination of like hands-on body work where basically we're looking for tension spots in the body because where there's tension, there's usually memories. So for example, mm-hmm. like I worked on a man once where I got like right into a spot in his calf and the body will start to like bring the memory up and forward. And then we kind of play like improv, like, okay, this, this is a pain spot. Like, what are you holding there? What's in there? Who's in there? And then the memory will surface. And for him, it was a memory of his dog. And it's like, okay, where is your dog? Where are you? I mean, I'm in my backyard and I'm, I'm like, okay, how old are you? I'm 10 and the dog's barking and okay, what else? And I just, I just punched my sister in the face and I'm crying because I hurt her and I didn't mean to. And so there's like this deep grief and shame around hurting this, this sister of his um, and not meaning anything by it. Right. But like the memory holding on to that, cause there's like, there's deep shame and there's pain in there. So allowing the body to clear that by perhaps reenacting that whole experience and me stepping in as a sister and blindfolds are on. So there's, you're very dropped into this like space um, where it feels really real. And it's kind of like, I've had some people say it's similar to like a plant journey where you're just, you're in it. Um, a what journey? A plant mm-hmm, Like a plant, like a, yeah, like an ayahuasca ceremony or something like that where you're oh, just okay. in, mm-hmm. yeah. And so, um, like, reenacting that where I get to actually step in as a sister and, like, he gets to apologize and he gets to be heard and I get to receive it as the sister and, and love him and hold him and, like, hug him and somatically, like, the, like feel your sister, like, feel, like, and, and letting that complete fully. Um, wow. I forgot Fascinating. the question I know you had, but... Oh my oh, gosh, I, what I was think, the, <laughs> I don't remember well, I, I the original question. The training, the training. So like, All so right. doing, so that's like the somatic portion where we're working on the entire body. The sexological body portion is actually working with the genitals because if you have sexual trauma, they're going to live there. Mm-hmm. So if you like, um, before my sexological body work stuff, like pain in my, pain in my vagina when having sex, like not uh, feeling numb, feeling like, just the depth didn't feel good. That is stored energy in the body. That's stored energy and emotion in, in our, in our yoni, especially like the deeper you go. Cause these different points have different spots. So like our G spot will hold stuff, but usually our A spot will hold a lot. What's um, an A spot? It's, it's a little bit deeper than the G spot. Um, and oh. it's a little bit deeper before the cervix. So they'll hold like often all these memories. So usually when working with female clients, the A spot will hold a lot of tension. Um, and so, so wait, so do you actually like uh, get in there with your female yeah. clients? And you do. Oh, interesting. Yeah, there's internal work. Mm-hmm. Oh, so what do you what do you do? Like, do you like what is the goal there? Is to just to get them to um, remember their their suppressed memories, or to yeah, get that's orgasm part of or? it. Part of it. So part of like the first few sessions are more about clearing like clearing the the tension points, clearing the pain that's there. Um, If there's numbness, like that's still a sensation. So like starting to bring sensation into those numb areas. So it's almost like when we start at our baseline, like when we're born, we don't have this pain or stories or trauma or anything, right? So we start at this like full capacity. And as we start to collect 
we collect the pain. We are receivers anatomically as women. Men are the penetrators. So like when you have a sexual encounter with a the male, there's an energy loop that's happening. So if you're having sex with a man who is really freaking angry, like you're sucking in that energy mm. um, and that can get stored and locked too if we're not mindful or like that's true huh, doing energetics and reiki and things like that so basically like it gets stored in in a, it gets stored there because that's where we're taking it in mm. um and so it, we start to build this like pain and this numbness and then to get back to this baseline of like full pleasure full capacity we need to like go back in and feel all of these things release it so again i'll use me as an example but um, so many memories of ex-partners coming up, like just me holding onto their pain, me clenching onto their, like their hurt, their traumas, because I decided that I needed to hold it. And so, um, when pressing into those tension spots, yes, memories might surface. You might have specific memories surface. Like if you've ever been raped or had any sexual assault, that will absolutely most likely surface. And it might not be completely true. Like it might be fabricated versions of the experience, but it doesn't matter because um, it's still real for you and then we can play and work with that and so then after the first few sessions once we start to clear a lot of that there starts to like your body comes online mm-hmm. like all the numbness all of the spots where there's pain and tension will come online and your body will start to like really come alive um, and you are able to experience way more pleasure in all of the areas of your body um, and again these meridian lines and like points that are connection like sex is just moving meditation and also we're working like eros is an energy exchange and so you're basically just moving energy when you have sex and so what we're doing sorry you said that sex is just moving meditation is that what you said i did yeah and that it's also like an an energetic exchange it's an energy it's energy so like you can move the energy like tantra for example, is just mm-hmm. moving the energy. Like I said before, like we are receivers as women. So if you picture like a female body and a male body, they penetrate, right? So there's like a plus sign on their genitals and there's mm-hmm. a negative on ours and as, mm-hmm. as women. So it's this loop of like penetration energy. We come in, we bring the energy all the way up and then we can shoot it back out through our heart and it's loop, like that's Tantra. Mm-hmm. So with somatics, the sexological body work, you're moving the energy up in through the chakras up to the heart, opening the heart opening the throat having more sexual like more expression from the throat center and through the heart Uh, I'm assuming that as you're doing this um, it sounds very intricate by the way and and, then well first of all how many hours does this usually take like does this take hours (laughs) you mentioned the first first two hours I'm like wow how long are they here for (laughs) a full session like full table work session is three hours and and like right now especially like I've I do, I can do a lot of this virtually. Like I teach oh, wow. this, how to do this with yourself in my programs that are virtually, um, you can go deeper when you have a practitioner. It goes back to that piece of community. Like when you're in a safe held space, you can let go more and you can drop in deeper. So there's there's work that you can do on your own. There's work that you can do with practitioners and there's work you can do with community. And I'm sure that you like uh, kind of talk them through it, right? Like every step mm-hmm. of the way. And it's, it sounds very like, um, yeah, it sounds very meditational, <laughs> to use your word, and also um, uh, almost like uh, hypnotherapy, almost, it reminds me of. Yeah, yeah. And, and to go, you, you know, you mentioned orgasm on the table, and just to speak to that a little bit, like, there's a science behind it, too. It's not just, like, this woo-woo piece, but 
when there's only a couple ways to shut off the frontal cortex, which is responsible for our fear center, like it's our ego. And the four ways to do that is through orgasm, hypnosis, coma, and plant medicine. So when we're on the table and we start to get into these really heightened erotic states, we're like feeding your feeding you affirmations that we've come together, mm-hmm. um, that we've created together that are actually reprogramming. So let's say like, you know, a, a typical one is like not feeling safe in your body. Mm-hmm. So the first few sessions, like I'm safe in my body, I'm safe to use my voice, I'm safe to express myself and you can like reprogram the body and the psyche the subconscious like the the body is this you the subconscious mind so um reprogramming it in a way where you get to create a new story so if your story is has always been like men are not safe and your sexual expression is not safe we might play with affirmations like um like like it's safe to come out and play it's Mm -hmm. safe to express myself sexually like something like that Okay, interesting. And then you you get people in an erotic zone in order to better reciprocate these affirmations. Because what mm-hmm. you're saying is that we're more res- uh, 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 what's the word reciprocal, <laughs> like more receptive. Because more receptive. Yeah. Is like when we're off. in an erotic state. Oh, how interesting! Wow, I never mm-hmm. knew that. Okay, what do you do when you come across um, um, clients like that? Like the whole culture is is kind of like that. They're taught not to enjoy sex, and what if like their husbands, you know, um, you know, saw it as a bad thing for them to uh, show that they were enjoying their sexuality, and also just generally like, what are your thoughts around that whole thing? <laughs> yeah, so I will say that most of my clients are either American. I've worked with a lot of Europeans, a lot of Australians, and a lot of Canadians. So this is my first Japanese client. And um, the first thing that comes up for me when you spoke, and this kind of was is going back to what I was sharing before, is that I feel like it all stems from sexuality. Like, one of my mentors is always like, all of the war, the hate, like the awful shadow expressions of what's happening in our world is because of a lack of sexual expression. Like, and I think that's where there's a lot of healing potential in the BDSM space because you might want to like play as a sadist or masochist and, and, and love inflicting pain, but like, can you do it in a consensual space where Mm -hmm. the other person is actually finding pleasure? But what happens when you don't have that part of you acknowledged, accepted, and what happens when that part of you is not safe to play and it gets really loud? The part of you that wants to inflict pain and and sure yeah like yeah like just that just like that one aspect or that one archetype like dominance right Mm -hmm. that likes to be in control like if you don't have a place to direct that Mm -hmm. it's going to get expressed everywhere else in the world and so when I heard you talking about Japanese porn and how it's like kind of violent it just makes me feel like okay Mm -hmm. there's this like suppression Mm -hmm. of like everyone's sexuality I'm sure especially women and so men are also probably taught to be really dominant in that way. And they might be taught that that's how sex should be. Um, and that's why I find myself just so passionate about sexuality because I feel like in the sexual space, like another mentor calls it like the dungeon, but like take it in the dungeon. Like you're experiencing this real world problem, like bring it into the sexual space in a consensual in a consensual container where you get to play out those archetypes for you like the shadow aspects right like even everything that's happening in our country right now with trump like religion i mean politics aside 
like it's a shadow aspect of the masculine, like the Me Too movement, all of these pieces. But like if we can look at our shadow and accept them and find healthy ways of expressing them, and I feel like it would really shift the way that we showed up in the outside world. Like instead mm-hmm. of bringing your anger out to those around you, what if you channeled it into a sexual energy that um, – again is conceptual and and it's for everyone's pleasure mm-hmm. um and then mm-hmm. to answer the part about culture i think like to me i like to simplify things um and i like to kind of cross like the hurdles when they come forward if that makes sense but i feel like it is a similar process of like what is again like what was taught for you like what was taught to you about sex? What do you believe about sex? What is your culture? And so what I find with all of my group coaching programs, and this is why I love like group settings, is that we all come from so totally different backgrounds, different cultures, different upbringings, different like emotional abuse experiences, like all of these things. And everybody comes together in this one place. Mm-hmm. And there's like a unity there. And so I feel like your upbringing might be so different and your culture might be so different, but it's like still unlearning. Like it feels like to me, the unlearning process is, is quite similar from like a very zoomed out perspective where people are going to experience it so differently, but it's still an unlearning and and a remembering of who you are at your core, like a divine being and uniting your sexuality with your spirituality ultimately. Mm, that's so interesting yeah interesting that you keep using the word unlearning um that's uh, yeah interesting that you see that as like key to um changing people's um I mean it makes sense changing people's uh beliefs or opening them up to their own sexuality um I also do have to say that like being of um you know someone that was raised in a more modest um place and also be just being a person I'm 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 very uh pro sexuality pro like you know um all this I don't see porn as like a bad thing and you know like I said that that course on human sexuality really had I think a profound impact on the way that I viewed um a, a sex um but, uh, but, you know, I do have to say that um, there also is, I think, and uh, something, something beautiful around modesty, you know, like there, there is like to a certain extent, you know, of course, you know, not not to the point where women and men can't enjoy sex. But I mean, there's something, I think, you know, with the Western society, that's like, so brazen, and like, everything's so sexual. And, you know, even for me, sometimes it gets to be a bit too much like if i'm watching a lot of movies I, i've realized a lot of american movies fall back or comedies fall back on um sex humor like you know like a cheesy sex humor or dirty sex humor and i've like just never found it that funny you know i'm just like mm-hmm. oh like you know to me it feels kind of like cheap you know um you know because of course you know sex is sacred you know that's the way that i approach it at least that the way that i see it is that like it's a a spiritual it's sacred it's beautiful you know it's something that you know however you choose to do it whoever you choose to do it with it's you know so much more than just the act of you know a thing in a whole right Mm -hmm. type thing so um but i do i do feel like sometimes i do think about that and I think um, not necessarily conflicted but I do feel like uh, people in the Western society like um, sometimes might not understand uh, the beauty of the modesty that is in some of the more Eastern um, thinking although 
you know, things are changing now, even, of course, even in the East, like everything's kind of just merging together and mm-hmm. people are a lot more sexually active couples, young, young people and stuff. But yeah, well, I feel like also like to me, the way that I take that is that like, I think because sex was so shamed and I think like it's been like, if you compare us to different sexual education systems that are in Europe, like a, a client of mine who's an assistant she works on my team we did a podcast together about sexual education and she did her whole thesis on it and she was talking about our sex sexual education system i think in comparison to like sweden or something mm-hmm. um and it was vastly different there they start their sex ed in like kindergarten but it starts out with perhaps in sweden like, boundaries i don't know if it was sweden i can't don't quote oh. me on it um but like boundaries consent like wow. touch like basic principles of like teaching agency over your body and so i think I think that if you think about the way the Western world looks and relates to sex and sexuality, it is a shadow side. Like I, I, that's not, that's not totally true. There can be a lot of, it's encoded with a lot of shadow is what mm-hmm. I want to say. It's encoded think, with a lot of shadow because yeah. it's been something that's been so shamed and yeah. so taboo, but it's so innate in who we are that instead of knowing how to show up in these healthy ways to truly honor it, there's this like very toxic expression and projection of it. And so it shows up in our movies and our TV shows because it's like, it's everywhere, yet it's not actually talked about Mm -hmm. in a real way. Like it's misinformation Mm -hmm. in every way. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, no, now now to think about it. Yeah, no, it's not necessarily Eastern uh, versus Western mentality. It's because in the Western um, culture also, yeah, it's been shaped so much by religion, by certain religions that have shamed sex. Um, definitely, absolutely. Um, uh, it's definitely shamed sex and sexuality. I've, I'm watching The Handmaid's Tale mm-hmm. right now. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but um, I've heard of it. It's um, quite interesting because it really dives into all of that. It dives into um, religion and how suppressed, like, the, the woman's role. And it's just, like, you know, it's like a, a fictional world where women are basically just following the Bible and just being submissive. And, you know, um, and, and that's one where submission role, gets a, a yeah. bad rap, right? Like, right. They're, they're, yeah. Their one role is to bear children. But I mean submissive as in they're literally raped. Right. Yeah. Right. Show. Right. Right. But yeah, no. What's interesting to go with that? I've actually experienced myself. Um. Um. I I know uh, of uh, I don't want to like reveal you know uh, people or whatever, but um, I definitely know of uh, uh, situations um where like men have have had problems being dominant. Usually mm-hmm. they don't, right? Totally. Usually, usually men aren't but I but um I I knew of someone who was um taught as a young kid by uh I think in Catholic school or something like that by um by uh uh, their sex ed class that um you know they have this whole thing about like rape and not raping women and you know just like you know not forcing yourself and whatever and then later on in life work was completely submissive and basically unable to uh really just you know, like 
go for it. Like with sex, right? So I think it's very interesting. It's not just for women. It happens with men also. And I think I see that too now, like uh, even more so now with the whole Me Too movement and, and stuff. Like a lot of times men are confused with this like shift in, in society, you know, women empowerment and everything. Men are confused. Like what can they do? What can't they do? You know, what is considered, um, you know, too forward? What's considered like, you know, rapey? I mean, I was just like, I'm from Philadelphia and Rocky is like a big part of our culture. Everybody mm -hmm. loves the, sh the movie Rocky. I'm not sure if you've ever seen it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, I personally have never seen it actually. And I've tried to watch it like three times and I just can't get over how rapey it is. Like, I just can't get past the part where Sylvester Stallone is like, you know, like pushing this really scared girl against the wall and she can't like go home because he literally leaves her no choice and leaves her stranded in an like empty street at night and tells her how dangerous it is. So she's forced to go up to his place. And then he like basically like, you know, he's like, oh, I'm going to kiss you. You don't have to kiss me back, but I'm going to do it anyway. I love your impersonation. <laughs> <laughs> I can see it. <laughs> Yeah. And then the next day, like they're happily together on the couch as a couple in love. And I'm like, I just can't, can't, can't get over that. It's supposed to be a love story too. Yeah. Well, I think like, that's the other piece of the dominant submissive piece. Like, you know, I'm like in the submissive course and it's like, all the women are like, where's the dominant men? Like, oh my God, we're just like freaking starving. And it's like, men don't know what the F to do. Yeah. Like, they're scared so too. They, they don't, do? they don't know how to be. I think that, I mean, I think that if this is something that you want, like get trained, get trained mm. for it. Like being a submissive, like it's an art form. It mm. is like get trained and being a, in a BDSM. Dom. Yeah. Like we get like a how dominant you, how does training one go about getting trained for that. There's, there's different schools. Like you can like learn under kink people. You can learn about like dominance and submission and I think that it's important because, again, I think, like, there are examples of, like, very unhealthy dominant men. And then there's also, like, the nice guy, right? So, like, what I was saying before where, like, a lot of women want to, like, be in control in every way but then, like, want the dominant men in the bedroom. Like, that just doesn't work. Like, if you want a dominant man, man, you need to, like, feed him his dominance. But also he needs to feel... Like, he needs to write the relationship to his dominance first. Because if he's mm. in fear that he's going to inflict pain and um, not under – like, with power, you have to have the responsibility. And if you and, – and as a dom, like, if you're I'm actually like going to – man. Yeah, but, like, if you're going to be a dom, like, you have the responsibility of two humans. Yes, the submission – the submissive is still um, – in charge of her experience and her desires and her nose and her boundaries and her edges. And when you're in a subspace, like you're in a different reality, you're not there. And the Dom has full, full like reign in that to keep you safe and, and like test the boundaries and the limits within the defined container. But again, that requires responsibility too. So like, you have to have that peace. And so it just, it's like, I think that's where um, so much has flopped. Like what I shared in the beginning with the patriarchy and like us now stepping on men, it's like men, actually we need to build them back up into their healthy dominance because we don't want to do the dirty work. We don't want to fight as women. Right. So we need to learn to almost take that step back, have humility, right. feed and build our men up. 
Um, and I, mean, I, yeah. I, I generally, I mean, I feel like for the most part, no one likes to tell someone else what to do all the time, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and with that said, like when you were saying, um, I, I don't know if I fully agree with the, uh, the, the whole, like, you know, um, um, a person can only be dominant or submissive if they're like that, like in other parts of, of, uh, their, their life. Because I also know of many cases where, you know, men are like, like I was saying earlier, like they, they will seek out situations where they can be dominant or submissive because, you know, um, normally in their role in life, they are the opposite way, you know, so it's like totally. a, a form of release for them. Um, and I think it's, it's very much the same, like whether it's necessarily BDSM or not, you know, um, I see that a lot in just relationships in general, where, you know, one person who wears the pants, like normally, like, you know, in a relationship are actually the ones who are totally submissive, like in the bedroom type thing. Um, so I've, I've seen that quite a bit, but I think it's amazing how open you are. Obviously it's your profession and a profession and your job, but you're, it's amazing how open you are with, um, with these topics and with BDSM, you know, because, um, it's one of the more common, common, uh, uh, fetishes, right? I mean, do you know, I don't know if you know any stats or anything, but like how common is BDSM? I don't know for certain. I'm not sure with numbers off the top of my head. Okay. Yeah, because I mean, I'm, I am shocked sometimes when, you know, like if it's brought up in conversation or something and like, there are still people that are like, oh my gosh, that's so weird. Like, you know, and I'm like, oh, but they, you know, in sex shops, they sell whips and all sorts of things like in every sex shop. So it must be very common. I mean, I think like I mentioned before, polarity, like it's about like I think, I think when the relationship dies and when sex starts to go down the shitter, for lack of a better term, it's like the polarity died somehow. Like there's an equal playing field, and maybe the woman's wearing the pants, and the man's like doing, and then there's like no sexual chemistry. Like the eros mm-hmm. is gone, and so I think um, with BDSM, there's very clear, distinguished roles. Like who's the giver? who's the receiver, who's in control, who's surrendered. And that creates a polarity where Eris Eris can, like, exist and play and go deep and far. What is Eris? Like, sexual energy. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah, I had no idea that there were schools, by the way, for this. Are these, like, uh, in-person courses or, I mean? I think they're probably both. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I think I, I forget. I, I'm gonna keep saying Sweden. <laughs> I'm probably <laughs> wrong, um, but there's a dom that I know that, like, in one of the in a different country, like, it's actually legal for you to to do this to like do BDSM work, where women will go to a dom and like have a three hour session. Oh, of Amsterdam, BDSM right? It might be. I, it might be. Yeah, but like, it's it's like. I saw that it's in um, Eurotrip. <laughs> yeah, Do you remember it, that part? Lucy Lucy Lawless played the Dom. She had like a whip or she had something and she was like basically like butt raping one awesome. of the main characters. You know, of course it's like comedy. <gasps> oh my gosh. Yeah. Yes. It was my Lucy body worker always. And there's like a, a safe word that's like some oh, ridiculous. Yes. <laughs> it was like a evil. really yeah. long safe word and he couldn't say it. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> but that's amazing that you have to go to school for this. Like I, I you mean you don't have to. I just I think that it's a great way to be trained in like how to do it eloquently. Like it's an art. Is that only for doms or is it also for uh, No, for too? submissive too. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. I wonder what you learn in sub school. Yeah. 
Yeah. How <laughs> <laughs> to surrender, how to, how to yeah. be a good stubborn to feed your man. <laughs> awesome. Amazing. Amazing. Well, Julianne, um, I always like to end all of my uh, video po audio podcasts with um, this question, which is, um, if you were to come across um, someone or for all those out there who uh, may be feeling like they're sexually repressed or they're having um, shame around their sexuality, um, what are some words of advice that you can give them? Mm. Know that it's all serving you, that it's all part of your process and your journey and to meet yourself with so much love and compassion and grace and through those through that approach you're going to create so much space for yourself to discover more of who you are and and unlearn like the programming and the things that have created the shame because you're not born with it like we're not born with body shame or body hate and we're not born with sex shame and sexual um like misinformation like we don't have that and so you know meeting yourself with that grace love and compassion to really be able to look at you know maybe what have we collected what have we collected that we don't want to give back that we want to give back rather that but like what like beliefs or stories of like or, or truths have you taken on that you don't want anymore and just start to kind of like weed your garden ultimately and 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 pick out the weeds and the stories that you don't want and start to cultivate the the flowers that you do want to grow and water those plants and um and if you feel like it's heavy work on your own to reach out to a professional for support and help because they think that it's a beautiful thing to to share and be witnessed and then there's so much power in the witnessing um and we're being witnessed in our healing especially with sexuality i mean i just see it with women all the all the time in my programs like and, and other spaces that i'm in like it's it's like the coming together and being witnessed in it and like fully being realized in who you are um and your purity and your innocence and connecting that to your sex is just it brings you back to a wholeness absolutely beautiful beautiful and i think it's important you know uh, uh, with what you said with um um, what beliefs are you holding on to? And, you know, I think you're basically saying, like, learn to choose, you know, choose your own beliefs, uh, choose which beliefs you want to keep and which ones, like you said, to throw out. But, you know, it's important to remember that someone, you know, told you something like as as human beings, you know, in the span of psychology and what we pick up and what makes us who we are in our personality, like so much of it is just being told things just being told you know so totally. it doesn't necessarily mean that it's real it's just mm -hmm. somebody told us this someone told us we should be like this and then you know we later in life think that's what we should be like but that's yeah. actually not not the case so yeah finding your authenticity and um yep and uh power of sexuality awesome awesome <laughs> julianne <laughs> well thank you so much this has been a very interesting empowering discussion um, Julianne Vaccaro, everyone, and thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, we will see you next time. Bye. Thank you.